The scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 31. In the Pew Bibles, that's on page 729. Luke 6, 27 to 31. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Your Bible's open there, if you would. Page 729 in the Pew Bibles, and uh, to Luke chapter 6, verse 27 or so. We're going to be looking at that this morning. We're going through passages that uh, relate to what we're doing with our life groups and the orality sessions in our life groups. So we're going to be looking at the person of Jesus and his ministry for the fall, and I'm excited about that. I heard there is a rumor that there is a new baby here this morning, but I haven't seen that new baby yet. Ah, Judith. No, it's Megan Judith. Megan Judith, are your parents here? Do you think that you could have them stand and show you to us? There she is. Congratulations to Andrew and Aaron on Megan Judith Baxter. Eight pounds is three ounces on October 13th. Very good. And you spelled Megan the right way. Way to go. I saw that. Perfect spelling. Of Megan. I am uh, part of a community group that gets together and talks about things that we can do in our community to facilitate um, ministering and growth among people that live in the Marlboro area. On that committee with me, there is one lady who is from uh, Nepal, who is a Hindu kind of Buddhist mix, I think is the way that she would describe herself. Uh, we have a person on there who is a Roman Catholic. And we have a person on there that I would, I guess I would describe as an atheist, uh, you know, at least an agnostic, someone who doesn't specifically uh, profess faith or anything like that. Not long ago, we were having a conversation uh, in one of our meetings, and the Hindu Buddhist person from Nepal made some references to faith. And she has been by here numerous times uh, in our building. We meet in our building sometimes. And she's been here for the clothing exchange things, uh, things like that. She's a social worker with the city of Calgary. And she wanted to know uh, what I believed. And she wanted to talk about faith specifically uh, with reference to peace. Because she's a person who, like so many today, and this is a good thing, are oriented toward peace. And uh, she wanted to know what I thought about peace and where Jesus was at with reference uh, to peace. She cares a lot about people. She works with a large number of people, uh, wants to see them doing well, and she would be an advocate of social justice, and so she's interested in these peace uh, issues. She lifts up people of all races and all ideologies uh, and all religions for that matter. And so she very pointedly said, where am I? Where are you, Kelly, on all of that? Which was interesting. Because I find myself all of a sudden in a position where I have to answer something about my faith, 
but to do it in a context where I don't come off looking like the bad guy. Have you been there? Do you find yourself in context like that where someone is saying, so what do you believe? What does your faith stand for? What is your Christianity like? And of course, we live in a society which is very politically correct oriented. And so if you end up saying too strongly your faith and in the process make everybody else look bad, then you, in fact, look bad. And yet at the same time, we want to make a claim for Jesus. You want to stand up for Christ. You want to do so with some boldness. And we want to tell the world what we think about Jesus, what we think is right. And I, it's a difficult thing to do. And so I, I was wrestling with this and thinking about this question. Can I even be both explicitly Christian and also politically correct? Is that possible? I see some people shaking their heads. I see some people nodding their heads. Here is my kind of conclusion as I was reflecting on that this week, and that is this. I think it is partially possible. I took the easiest way out I could possibly take. I can be partially politically correct, I think. You can tell me whether or not you think this works. Now, of course, when I say that I'm going to be at least partially politically correct, it means that I'm going to be partially politically incorrect. And so I'm going to say some things this morning that will probably not be politically correct. There's some other things that will be, in fact, I think, politically correct. And we'll see how this goes. And here's what I mean by that when I say I think I can partially be politically correct. I, as a Christian, think that the world gets it right when it holds up peace and peacemaking as being of great value. I think they're right about that. That's a good move on the part of the world. My friend from Nepal, who is kind of a Hindu-Buddhist mix, but who is really an advocate for peace and peacemaking, I think she's got something right there. And with that, I can actually agree. And so there's a part of me that thinks I can be at least partially politically correct, and that even fits with some things that Jesus said. Jesus was, in fact, I think, a peacemaker. Luke 6, 27, 28 says, But I tell you... You who hear me, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. I don't know if I can think of a more politically correct kind of statement than that. Or maybe that goes even way further than the notion of being politically correct. In fact, I would say that whether you want to be politically correct or not, it's pretty hard to argue with that way of living. Like, who is it that after they finished hearing those words would think to him or herself, oh, what a mistake! What a blunder! What a poor way of assessing humankind and dealing with them! Most of us, in hearing some comment like that from Jesus, are going to feel pretty good about who Jesus is and what he taught. And so I would say, if you're a person out there looking for a position which is going to be promoting nonviolence, this is not a bad place to look. If you're just seeking some notion of religion and thinking you want that to be connected somehow to peace, Jesus is in fact a peacemaker. And I think this is a good place to go. 
And so I would say that in both personal relationships and in responding to persecution, Jesus taught peace. Now, at this point, when I say Jesus taught peace, there's going to be somebody who say, well, do you think there's no such thing as just war then? Should we all be just pacifists? And that's not the issue I'm raising this morning. I don't want to deal with that question. What I want to ask is, is Jesus a teacher of peace? And it seems to me like Jesus is indeed, both in public life, in personal relationships, a teacher of peace. Now, critics of Christianity have other things that they might want to say about what Jesus did or taught. For example... Matthew 10.34, Jesus said these words, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now that doesn't sound particularly peaceful when he says, I did not come to bring peace. And so if Jesus doesn't look as though, on the surface at least, like he came to bring peace, then what is a passage like this trying to say? Well, in context, that specific passage is talking about relationships. In fact, he's talking specifically, as you read on through Matthew 10, about family relationships. And Jesus is trying to say that when he comes into someone's life, it may bring some difficulties. In fact, they may find themselves at odds with other people who are very close to them. You know, in my own family, when I became a Christian, I've described some of the this to you before. When I became a Christian, my parents, my dad and my stepmother, were not really in favor of me doing that. They allowed it. When I went to my dad and said, Dad, I, you know, I, I want to give my life to Christ. I, I'd like to go and be baptized today. Uh, I raised that question with him at a family reunion. Uh, everybody was at a big park, and I went to him early on in the day and said, instead of being here at the family reunion, I'd like to go be baptized. And he allowed it. He said, well, he said, if that's the choice you're making, if that's how you want your life to go, then I guess that's a choice you need to make. You're old enough to make those kind of choices, and so go ahead. So I did. I left the family reunion, and I went and was baptized. And there is a sense in which that day, and from then on, there was some kind of severance that took place. Some kind of barrier my, my father and I were extremely close. But it was not the same after that day. It just wasn't. And I think I know a little bit about what Jesus was saying when he said, I have come to bring a sword. There are times in our lives when we make a decision for Jesus and it's going to put us at odds with other people. There is going to be a difficulty in the relationship. There could indeed be conflict arise. I think I may have told you before, one time I was at home all by myself. I'm, I, I decided I had to take a shower, so I went in the shower. And while I'm in the shower, I'm singing praises to the Lord. Fairly new Christian. I don't know. I'd been a Christian for a year at this point or something. And I'm in the shower just belting out the, the praise songs in the shower. And I was good, by the way. And then I, because we always are in the shower, right? Aren't you good, Ken, in the shower? <laughs> Heather's saying, no, not even then. <laughs> so I was in the shower, belting out the praise songs, and in the midst of that, my parents came home. And I can remember, as I'm hearing them talk, and they're talking loud enough so that I can hear it. 
and they're making disparaging remarks, not so much about my singing as about my faith. Because sometimes Jesus brings a sword. And I think it's simply a case of relationships sometimes not being all that they were before because of what he brings into our lives. Well, when it comes to violent responses to things, I think Jesus is in fact very clear. So antagonists of Christianity or critics of of Jesus can say, well, here's a passage that looks like Jesus is not so peaceful, but I think that everything else about Jesus points in the direction of him being indeed an advocate of peace. And so when it comes to violent responses, we see things like this. Put your sword away. No more of this. Put your sword back in its place. Each of these statements comes at the point at which Jesus is about to be arrested in the garden. And they come to him, and they've got clubs, and they've got swords, and they've got torches, and they are arresting Christ. And you know the story. There are disciples of Jesus there with swords. And so Peter pulls out his sword, and he goes for the guy's neck, but he misses and lops off Malchus's ear instead. Do you think he was just trying to cut his ear off? No. He's defending his Lord. And he pulls out the sword and whew, one quick move and the guy's ear is gone. What does Jesus do? Takes his ear, puts it back on, put your sword away. There'll be no more of this. Put your sword back in its place. Why? Because this is not what my kingdom is about. This is not who I am. And so Jesus, at that moment in his life, when it would have been so natural for him to defend himself, we would have almost expected at that point some kind of action on his part does something completely different than the world would expect. Not only does he not advocate violence at that point, but he puts the ear of the person back on, saying, in effect, this was a wrong deed and I'm going to fix it. Well, it's not surprising if Jesus stood in that place that we would see other things coming in the New Testament. Here's a statement from Paul. Don't repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. If there's any repaying there needs to be of something evil that happens, God is the one who needs to take the vengeance. And Paul even points out that if we behave the way we should, some of what we desire in terms of a person recognizing the wrongfulness of their behavior is going to come about because we treated them so well in response to the way that they actually treated us. So that's the way I think that Jesus calls us to live. I think that's what he wants from us. He wants us to live as people of peace. He wants us to live in peace with our relationships. Now, at this point, you know and I know that people often criticize Christianity despite the fact that Jesus was a teacher of peace. And so they raise questions about, for example, early Christianity or medieval Christianity in which something like uh, the Roman Empire becomes Christian 
and then insists that everyone else who is going to be a part of that government becomes Christian. And sometimes there were violent acts perpetrated in the name of Jesus by governments because they were, in fact, thinking this was a good thing. The whole nation has become Christian, and now if we conquer you people, you're going to become Christians too, and if you're not, that's a problem. And they may well have mistreated them, and they did in some cases. The Crusades is always raised. The Crusades is a historical event. People wonder whether or not there's ever been any violence perpetrated in the cause of Christ. Well, in some sense, yes. The Crusades did happen. There were, what, four different Crusades. Some of them were horrific. In one instance, they rounded up all the children as they went and essentially forced children to become part of a crusade movement, and many of them were killed in the process. And so I I can't defend that. The Spanish Inquisition, can I defend that? Aside from the funny lines from some Monty Python movie that we all are thinking of as I say the word Spanish Inquisition, there actually is some terrible stuff that happened in Spain as people were driven out of that country or in some cases murdered uh, because they weren't following Jesus. I can't defend those things. I can't begin to. And I can't begin to say that either you or I have always been appropriate followers of Jesus when it comes to peace. Fortunately for you and me, though, the legitimacy of our faith is not based in what Christians have historically done. Instead, the legitimacy of our faith when it comes to the message of peace is based not on what we sometimes have done as Christians, but instead is based in what Jesus did and taught. And I want to know what Jesus taught. When it comes to peace, when it comes to his status as the Son of God, I want to know what Jesus taught. And my point is this. Jesus taught peace and peacemaking. He taught love and justice. And this is what he expects from his followers. And I think that the passage that we looked at today, or looking at today, speaks to this issue. It says exactly that. And the ethic to which he calls Christians is a high one when it comes to love, when it comes to treating our enemies the way that God wants us to treat them. Now, the fact is is that all of that is pretty politically correct. I doubt if there's anybody in here who really has much quarrel with what I said so far. Was Jesus a teacher of peace? Of course he was. Is that something that we can defend? Does the world look at that and say that's a good thing? I think for the most part, they do. So that was the politically correct part, and that was pretty easy. Well, now I'm going to get politically incorrect. Not so easy. I'm not sure, for example, that all faiths are quite as peace-loving as the teachings of Jesus. I actually think that Jesus' ethics stands above what I see in the religious writings of others. I actually worry about, and I don't know if you do, I actually worry about the violent trends that I see in some faiths in the world. Every day when I open my 
newspaper, if I do, or if I look at the internet and I look at the news on CNN or something like that, I see a message oftentimes that there has been violence perpetrated not by followers of Jesus, but by some other faith. It's just true. It's shocking to me, actually, how many violent acts occur in our world at the hands of religious people. And on the one hand, it's horribly sad for religion that it happens. On the other hand, it's terrible not just for religion, but for the sake of humanity. Sometimes you wonder, what are religious people thinking when violence is what comes from being faithful? Now, it wouldn't do me any good to stand here today and bash all kinds of other faiths. I'm not going to talk about other religions or something today. And if I'm wanting people to come to Jesus and choose Christ, it wouldn't be particularly loving and gracious of me to just bash them this morning before you. I think Jesus calls us to something else. But he also calls us, I think, to recognize that there is a proper way to live. Specifically when it comes to living out peace-filled lives and treating others with kindness. And so I'm not going to name religions today and about where I think they're at with respect to the question of love and kindness But I'll just say that there is something that they need to see in the religion of Jesus that is different from where they're at now. I love them. I love them. But to teach something that runs so much in the face of the teachings of Christ, I think is a mistake. I think they've gone down a road that is not true. And that Jesus and his comments about loving your enemies and being kind to those who persecute you does in fact ring true. Now I don't agree with the violence that's perpetrated against Christians. I don't agree with persecution when it happens. But it's interesting that Jesus calls me To not just respond harshly to them, but to do what? To pray for them. To look at my persecutors in the eye and to tell them with all sincerity that I love them. And so I think we have lots of room for disagreement there. And I want to say to them, you need to rethink where you're at and maybe even consider the teachings of Jesus. But in the process of reconsidering Jesus, I hope that you recognize that I love you. And the statement I want to make to you about loving Jesus is one that comes from sincerity and not some bigoted position. There are some faith systems that I don't want to have any part of because of where I think they stand on this peace question. But indeed, I love them. I want the best for them. I want them to come to grips with what Jesus taught about what it means to be peace-filled, peacemaking. Now, that was the politically incorrect part. Here's a challenge for us today. Every relationship and interaction we have needs to exemplify the loving, peacemaking attitude of Christ. Everyone. 
And I want to say this morning that it needs to happen, maybe most of all, in the church. You and I know that the easiest thing in the world is to disrespect and not treat well those who are closest to us. Isn't it true, husbands, wives, parents, kids? Isn't it true that sometimes those who are closest to us, we find it easiest to mistreat? Maybe it's because we're, we're so confident they're not going to leave. Maybe it's because we think they're just going to stick it out no matter how bad I am. Maybe it's because we're not worried about our reputation with them. But there are times when you know and I know that those whom we love most are the ones that we treat the worst. Sometimes, you know, the, uh, Robin could attest to this. Sometimes the real me comes out. Like it's so easy for me to try and be pleasant with you, my church family, and I want you to respect me. It's so easy for you to be really pleasant with me. But sometimes, with those whom I love, I'm not as kind as I should be. And I think the teachings of Jesus should impact at that point my life. Sometimes we let nattering nagging comments come out. Sometimes we show anger. We shouldn't. When we do it in the church family, it's especially destructive, I think. Sometimes we can be overly critical in thinking about what's going on in the church and think that we're defending God as if he needs us. We can cling to our pet positions and speak unkindly about others and about positions because we think that we have the right perspective on this and if everybody in the church just looked at this the way I did, everything would be just fine. And it's so easy for us in the process of that to be unkind. But those are our loved ones and sometimes we don't treat them as well as we should. Now, I think that there's room for disagreement within the body of Christ. But there can't be room for unkindness. There can't be room for camp building. There can't be room for promoting dissensions and factions. There can't be room for little groups of complainers getting together and blasting others in the church in some unkind way. And the reason why there can't be that is because it speaks directly against the teachings of Jesus. It can't be defended. Even our enemies we're supposed to love and pray for. If we're supposed to love and pray for our enemies, how should we be treating those in the church? There has to be the kind of mutual love and respect and graciousness that the Spirit would call forth from Christians in dealing with each other within the church. Now, I think there's room for disagreement. Living in community will bring disagreement. 
Sometimes Peter and Chris and I get together. Well, sometimes we get together all the time. But sometimes when we get together, there's disagreement. Peter, do we agree on everything? No. Peter's often mistaken on all kinds of things. (laughs) Chris sometimes is mistaken. I'm mistaken all the time. But we have, I think, a great relationship. And there can be disagreement among us and we can say, well, I disagree with you, Kelly. Or with Peter or whatever. And we are, in the midst of that, good friends, wouldn't you say? I don't think he's just nodding because there's pressure on the moment. We have a good relationship. And I love Chris to pieces. We have a great fellowship in Jesus here. In the staff. But sometimes we disagree, and there has to be room for that within the body of Christ. We go to an elders' meeting sometimes, and the elders and myself sometimes disagree, or elders will disagree with elders. And they'll say that I disagree with you. But in the midst of those disagreements, there's respect and care and love. And the reason there is, is because that is exactly what Jesus calls his people. And that ethic of loving even your enemies and praying for those who persecute you has to dominate us. In this one area of our life together, brothers and sisters, the teachings of Jesus absolutely need to rule. They need to rule all our lives. But in this way, the teachings of Jesus need to rule. Let's pray. God, we've taken these words that you've spoken through your son this morning in a couple of different directions and we've talked about how we as Christians are challenged to stand up for our faith and yet also exemplify love. And I'm not particularly caring, God, this morning about political correctness, but I'm grateful that there are times when the message of peace that Jesus speaks, speaks to the world. Help us to defend that, even as we defend his lordship. And Father, we've talked about personal relationships as well and relationships in the church. Father, it's so clear to me when I hear Jesus speak that he speaks a message of peace. Sometimes, God, we don't. And I pray that you would work within us and transform our, our speech, transform our, our hearts, transform our attitudes, and help us hold up the teachings of Christ and let those become the words by which we live. God, I pray for congruency, for a meshing of the words of Jesus and the ways in which we live. We thank you that we can look at your word this morning, transform our hearts. Through Christ we pray. Amen.